Welcome back to Mike's Mom's Favorite Podcast, Beethoven Walks Into a Bar. I'm Jason Sieber, the Associate Conductor of the Kansas City Symphony. I'm Stephanie Brimhall, the Education Manager. And I'm Mike Gordon, Principal Flute of the Kansas City Symphony. Well, you guys, I cannot tell you how amazing it is to hear music in the halls of the Kauffman Center. Once again, we are back, and this has been such an incredible feeling to be back on stage and making music together again in Hellsberg Hall. Indeed, Stephanie, I can't tell you uh, the overall, the overwhelming feeling of joy on everyone's faces when we actually recorded some stuff back in November and December. But now being back in January with a brand new uh, season for our subscribers is really exciting. Everyone is um, thrilled to be back, to be performing again. We have been following all the COVID safety protocols uh, to the T, and we are doing things in a very safe way but also a very joyful way. Just so good to be back with all of our loyal fans again. Well, that's true. Uh, We are really, uh, our staff have gone to extraordinary lengths uh, working with some experts from KU Med Center to figure out how to make uh, our time together in the hall as safe as possible. And uh, because of all these additional safety protocols, uh, we're slowly easing back into the swing of things on stage. And for now, that means larger works being performed consist mainly of strings, Uh, So you can still find me creating and editing videos of fluting uh, on my own at home. I do. I do still continue. Fluting. I continue to flute even (laughs) even through the pandemic. I flute on. Um, But uh, you'll also start to hear from uh, the occasional wind, brass uh, and percussion instruments as we progress through the season. And that brings me to the man of the hour. Yes, indeed, an occasional brass. Uh, Today's guest is principal trumpet of the Kansas City Symphony. Uh, He just performed with the orchestra alongside Stephen Franklin in Vivaldi's Concerto for Two Trumpets. Please welcome to the show, Julian Kaplan. Hey, Julian. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I feel like a big celebrity being a guest on your show. (laughs) Wait, if you're a big celebrity, does that mean that we are big celebrities? Absolutely. No. Is it just by proxy? (laughs) No, no, no. You guys are big celebrities. I'm riding on your coattail. Oh, please. Well, you are definitely the star and you were definitely the star this past weekend. I really enjoyed your performance uh, with Steven of the Vivaldi 2 Double Trumpet Concerto. Um, It's so great to have you here to talk with us today, Julian. Before we get to anything else, just tell us what it was like to be back on stage with your great colleagues in the Kansas City Symphony again for the first time in nearly 10 months. Yeah, so my last performance was Beethoven Lives Upstairs Mm -hmm. on March 8th, I think. Obviously, I've missed it. You know, Vivaldi Double Trumpet Concerto has a... Uh, kind of a special place in my heart because, uh, and I I've, I've, think I've talked about this before to um, when I played the Haydn Concerto a couple of years ago, but I spent maybe one or, or two years every night when I was a kid going to sleep listening to Wynton Marsalis's CD, Classic Wynton. And uh, one of the tracks on that is the first movement of the Vivaldi Concerto. And you know, think about like, I was like 10 or 11 or 12 and Winton's playing both parts. And I just thought, you know, on a piccolo trumpet, no less. I just thought this is like impossibly uh, impressive. And when you're a kid, 
you know, that age, you, I guess you dream of you getting to play something that you're listening to on a, you know, on an album, especially Wenton Marsalis album. Right. Mm -hmm. But maybe, you, you know, you never really think like, I'm actually going to do this. <laughs> so to be able to play it at all. And I have played it before. And, um, the first time I got to play it was with a great friend of mine, Jonathan Stites. And then I played it again a couple of years ago with one of my teachers, Mark Claudefelter. Um, so it's never been, you know, a chore piece to play. I've always gotten to play it with, you know, great friends, great mentors. And uh, to get to play it with Stephen, Stephen Franklin has been an incredible addition to the orchestra. Um, you know, we've spent really a short time uh, together professionally, just, you know, se September, October, November, December, really. Um, and actually not even December because he was over playing Nutcracker. So we've only really spent like two or three months um, working together, but we've spent tons of time playing together during the pandemic, but it's nice to get to play with him outside of my basement uh, or his <laughs> or his living room uh, and playing, you know, real, real music and uh, in a real place with real people. That's wonderful. That's great. So how did you get started playing the trumpet? I mean, I know that you were listening to Winton's records. Had you started playing the trumpet when you were listening or did those listening sessions kind of spark your interest in the trumpet? How did all this originate? So uh, here's a little, this will be a little foreshadowing, but um, <laughs> I was actually placed on the trumpet via uh -huh. a test. Oh. And mm -hmm. this test, this test I took in sixth grade and basically it was like a little music test where we had to listen to some tones and uh, say which tone was higher or lower. Um, we had to listen to a little drum beat and try to write out the rhythm, even though we didn't, we just wrote like dots because we didn't know like <laughs> eighth notes and quarter notes. We just wrote like little spaced dots and they would try to make sense of it. And um, somehow they placed, based on your score um, on this test, they placed you with what instrument you were supposed to play. Now, the sad part about it is prior to the test, they made you choose the instrument you wanted to play. Oh, no. Mm. <laughs> so Getting your I, hopes up. Yeah. So I actually chose the saxophone, if you can imagine that. <laughs> wow. And, um, and, I, and I don't really remember. It was either I did too well or not well enough. <laughs> I'm um, wondering which way that went. <laughs> yeah, there's no, yeah. There's no way to prove it. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I wasn't allowed to play the saxophone, so I got placed on the trumpet, and so they they just hand you the instrument that you're you know you're placed with, and they say go in the other room and see if you can figure this out. And the very first thing that I played on the trumpet was "My Heart Will Go On," just a, the, <laughs> oh, the, the beginning of it. Classic, yeah. classic. And um and so I thought, okay, like this is probably going to work out. So I went home and talked to, and asked my dad. I said, you know, who is the best trumpet player in the world uh, who I should be listening to? And he said, Wynton Marcellus. So I, uh, I had my parents take me to Barnes & Noble and I bought like 18 Wynton Marcellus albums. Nice. Um, you know, every, every one that they had there. And uh, yeah, I mean, I settled on, on classic Wynton for my nighttime listening for many, many a night. Huh. 
That's amazing. I remember those tests, not just the music ones, but do you guys remember being in elementary school and you would take the test that would tell you what profession you should be eventually? I always got something to do with like trains, like train engineer or something like that. So, I mean, it's kind of thing that I became a conductor because trains have conductors too, but I think they they had me pegged for the wrong kind of conductor way back when. You know, I want to know where you all went to school. Nobody gave me a test that said (laughs) you will play the flute. I think they gave you the test and you failed it. And that's why they gave you Mm. the flute, Mike. I think that's what happened. Oh, I didn't realize. Maybe I didn't even know I was taking a test. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, that could well be. I've often been lightheaded. Sometimes I forget things. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, so, Julian, you know, once you... um, obviously, you know, hit an early peak in your career uh, with my heart will go on. Uh, How, uh, how long had you been playing, you know, when you kind of came to the realization that this might want to be something you do for your career? Um, I think it kind of took a little while because I, my, um, my dad and actually both my parents were pretty involved in NASCAR um, we so f- half of my life I grew up in Cleveland, and then the other half I grew up in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, which is like kind of the central the place mecca. for for yeah for NASCAR. And um, so we were like pretty uh, pretty involved in in that life, and um, so I kind of knew like a lot of the guys that are famous now. Um, I kind of knew before they they were you know big big name people. So um, I sort of thought I would go into being a NASCAR driver. Oh, that's um, that. And I was just kind of playing, you know, I was playing trumpet and, you know, my sister play, played and plays the flute. Um, and she was just a couple years ahead of me. So there was a little bit of like competition, I guess, like I wanted to be, you know, as good of a musician as, as, as her. So I was, you know, I was practicing a lot. And um, I think, you know, listening to Winton and listening to Hokan Hardenberger and the guys that I was really into, I wasn't really like big into orchestral music back then as much as just like solo trumpet. And so I thought um, I kind of had this delusion, even through like getting into college, that I would be a solo trumpetist. Um, oh. But uh, there aren't a lot of them. Um, <laughs> and uh, there's really not, like also not that much repertoire. So not really until I got to college and started playing in the orchestra um did i really fall in love with the orchestra and thought like okay like this is this is what i'll this is what i'll do wow so when when you say uh i mean i don't want to dwell on this nascar thread but i find this fascinating actually and i didn't know this about you so uh uh when you say involved in nascar were they were they just devoted fans were they working in it in some capacity yeah so um i guess probably from when i was I would guess nine to 15 or something like that. Um, my parents had owned a, um, like a pretty large NASCAR memorabilia store oh, cool. that was right next to where all of the race shops were. Um, and my dad uh, became real tight with, uh, if I don't know if you guys know NASCAR drivers, but Mike definitely does. Okay. I, I don't, but actually my roommate in college was a huge fan. So for that okay. four years from like 2000 to 2004, I actually knew what was going on in NASCAR. Okay. So uh, my dad got really tight with um, a lot of guys that worked for the race car driver, Rusty Wallace. Of course. 
And so he started going over to Rusty Wallace's race shop and would work out there and they would take him to races and he would kind of hang out in the pits and um, do like some fuel running and, and stuff like that. And so I was, I was at that shop a lot and I got to go to like the fabrication shop and I got to like sit in cars before they were built. And, you know, I got to see them putting all the, the stickers and the paint on them and everything like that. And so, and because we were, I mean, we were like the primary memorabilia shop there in, in, uh, in Charlotte, um, like guys like Ryan Newman, Kevin Harvick, Ron Hornaday, um, these guys would like be coming in the shop all the time. Um, you know, like before that, you know, they were, they were like big, you know, big time dudes like they are That's now. So cool. Um, yeah. So I knew a lot of those guys. So I just thought like this would be a pretty easy in, um, you know, a lot of those guys like start out as little kids, you know, sweeping up shop floors and then they get to, you know, sand down the, the body of the car and stuff like that. So I, I kind of thought like that's where that's where I would maybe uh, headed. But the orchestra grabbed me. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's really awesome. I mean, I do see I do see a, a commonality in a way between NASCAR drivers and, and trumpet players because because you each have to be fearless and unafraid of crashing and burning occasionally. <laughs> That's true. And the and the salary. You forgot the salary part. And the salary. <laughs> oh, of course, yes. And, yes. and the salary. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I think next time you play a concerto, you should do it in a fire suit. It would be really awesome. I might have to. <laughs> that is all super cool. Um, I'm always someone, as you know, Julian, I'm a big sports fan, and I'm always trying to draw comparisons between studying uh, music and becoming at the absolute top of your professional game as a musician and being an athlete. I think many of those, uh, there's a lot of similarities between the two of how you have to keep yourself in shape. And there's a lot of self-discipline that happens. If you're not super motivated to always become better yourself, no one is there not after you, you know, initial education and training to keep pushing you. And the best athletes and the best musicians are the ones that continue to push themselves. So speaking of which, what what is your normal practice regime? What is your approach to playing the trumpet um, that that has gotten you to this extremely high level that you're at now? And what do you continue to do to keep yourself at that level, especially now during COVID times? Yeah, I mean, I was, I wouldn't say lucky, but, you know, fortunate or whatever, um, to have two teachers who, whose main goal was to teach me how to teach myself. And, you know, it's not always like that, but my, my teachers were very much, um, you know, preparing me for when, you know, the time after school. So, you know, I focus on, I, I kind of have a, my idea is, uh, is easy to talk about, but hard to put into place. So I think about if you, if you think about like, um, a math problem like the square root of nine. Okay. Like we, we probably all know what the square root of nine is because we've practiced those fundamentals of math. Right. And we don't have to take square root of nine home and like break it down and practice it. Right. So my idea with the trumpet is if my fundamentals are strong enough, you know, there are no new notes or no new note, note orders or anything like that. So my fundamentals ideally would be strong enough that anything that's put in front of me, it's just the problem. It's not mm-hmm. homework now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've always practiced in a very fundamentals first 
way. You know, it's it's uh, it's kind of worked well for me. I don't get like bored um, practicing the the lowest common denominator um, <laughs> type stuff. I like um, it's. I I find it just easier for me to to have like tangible progress um, on on the easy fundamentals. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it also serves as kind of a daily test for me to see like how I'm feeling. Um, what I need to work on most, because if those easy fundamentals aren't working, um, you know, going moving forward isn't uh, isn't going to work out. So when you talk about those like kind of lowest common denominator, easy fundamental stuff, what what does that consist of for you? Um, so I have like kind of efficiency exercises. Um, official name of them would be the poo exercise. <laughs> Whoa. We're all, yeah. That's an interesting so, name. Yeah. Go on. We all just perked like, up an extra bit. They were like, do go on. What? Uh, yeah. I was like, should I, should I say this? Yes, um, you should. So you already did, you know, so, so not that the, not that the sound in any way ever starts with the lips, but mm-hmm. on the trumpet, the, the lips ideally would be either touching or very close to touching um, before we start a note. So we want to get, instead of, you know, having like a, a who attack, we ideally want to have like an easy, nice who attack. I think my, my dog might be breathing right into my microphone. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> um, he was just trying to demonstrate. That's right. Were, that's right. He's, he's looking just for the who attack. He's, he's good <laughs> right. at the who attack, yeah. Um, okay. But ideally, we want to find that, that, that place with the lips where they're just like, where it's really just nice and easy, you know, nice, easy uh, fronts to the notes where you're not having to tongue out the note. Um, and you're not having to like exhale out the note necessarily. So you want to find where your, where your lips and your body kind of um, get along. And then um, making sure that you're letting your air release itself. So, I mean, we could all do this right now where you take a, a huge breath in and then you just relax right and the air just comes out you don't have to like force it out so all we're doing on the trumpet is we're putting a mouthpiece up and just letting your body exhale naturally out of the out of the trumpet um so we're not having to like necessarily blow as our default hmm. right so all of these like lowest common denominator letting the body work for you first and then, of course, you know, in the orchestra and in solo repertoire, of course, there are times when, you know, you have to tongue hard or you have to blow hard um, and stuff like that. But but working out the, those defaults being the easiest um, and most natural way, um, that's, I mean, I, I kind of obsess, especially in the mornings, over over those kinds of uh, exercises. Hmm. So I don't, I don't want to put words in, in Mike's mouth, but... I, I'm I'm guessing that you and I are, are kind of similar in the way we think about this, but I I am a clarinetist. I will say I am. I haven't played it in a while, but <laughs> um, and for me, I mean, you know, clar- clarinet playing came very naturally. It was you know it was something that I was kind of naturally good at at an at an early age. And there could be jokes that the clarinet is an easy instrument to play, which is not untrue. But I think the saxophone might be easier. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, um, I, I think maybe Mike might feel similarly, but I've always felt like 
instruments like the piano or drums or something like that, where like you're having to do so many things, you know, like your right hand might be doing one thing and your left hand's doing something else. And then your foot, you know, right foot's doing one thing. I mean, when we talked with Catherine Siochi about playing the harp, it's like every extremity is doing something different. Or, you know, when um, with Josh Jones and, you know, if you're playing the drum set, for example, I mean, you know, everything's doing something different. But I think, you know, when you talk about the playing the trumpet, and it is true for all instruments, I'm just used to the clarinet and how that works is there are so many tiny things that you have to do that have to work together that just come through practice. But I mean, you're talking about like coordinating your air with the buzz of your lips with the rest, you know, the relaxation of your body with, you know, three buttons on your right hand and all those left hand, right hand, left hand, right hand, right hand. (laughs) (laughs) What am I trying to do? Um, but I, you know, I think that that you you can't really discount like for every instrument, there are all sorts of intricacies that have to work together in order to, you know, make it great. And just because it feels easy to somebody and I'm not suggesting it feels easy to you, but maybe after all of this time, it it gets easier. But just because it feels easy or sounds easy, you can't discount the fact that there's so many little things going on that have to come together exactly right in order to make those sounds. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to remember that for each instrument too. Right. right? And that's why when we have, you know, audition committees, it's important to have people, uh, you know, represent all the families of instruments. Um, Because what, what sounds like it could be really easy on the trumpet, like, like Carmen, for example, it's nice and low there's nothing fast, um, but it's really challenging. And a cellist who plays the same thing might think, well, why would that be an excerpt for the trumpet? Right? It's like a like a big long melody in the low register should be pretty easy. <laughs> um, but it has like really specific challenges. Whereas like if we listen to a cellist play the same thing, they probably make it sound super easy, but they also have, you know, finger pressure, the amount of vibrato, how in the world they can vibrato and not pull their hand off the string. Like we just, <laughs> we don't, I don't understand that as a, as a trumpet player. Right. And every instrument has that. Um, you know, the idea is that we make our instrument look easy. Um, for me, I can tell you it never feels uh, easy. I, I feel like I, I work for mm. what I what I get and that's okay. And I'm, I'm happy about that. What, what I think is so interesting, um, you know, anytime I hear uh, a, another, a person who plays a different wind instrument talk about, you know, their, their, um, how they conceptualize what's going on when they're playing, you know, ultimately for all in, uh, all wind instruments, it's all pretty much the same until you get, to the to the mouth, right? The embouchure, mm-hmm. and then it's then it's different from each instrument. But you know, you talking about um, this idea of a poo attack, and I'm only going to say that so many times, or else I know <laughs> this podcast will certainly go completely off the rails um, <laughs> if it hasn't already. Uh, you know, that's it's no different really from what we talk about. Uh, you know, in flute playing, and I'm sure it's similar. You know, to to training on, you know, clarinet, any, any wind instrument, it's, it's the same 
goal, which is to have that, you know, effortless uh, and relaxed and tensionless flow of air, you know, from our body into the instrument uh, so that it, you know, it, so that it can resonate well, so that we can have good control over what's happening. I mean, wind instruments ultimately are all about controlling uh, the volume, how much air and air speed, how fast it goes into the instrument, right? That is basically the task um, and how that works, you know, from the mouth into the instrument is a little bit different, you know, for every instrument, certainly different for the trumpet than the flute, but, but it's not, it's not different. And what's interesting too is, um, you know, even within players of a given instrument, there's such a different um, discipline and need for repetition of different things. Right. And I'm always impressed. And I think, I think this is true more frequently of brass players perhaps than woodwinds, but I always find that most brass players I meet when they start talking about their routine, it just requires relative to woodwinds um, so much more of that repetition of fundamental mm-hmm. uh, aspects of sound production like that. And I, I always find that interesting because, you know, I think when I play, when I don't play the flute for a week or two weeks, it's like, Eh, I pick it up and I feel a little eh, you know, for an hour or two, and then it's all good. But like a trumpet player, most times you talk to them and they're like, oh my God, if I don't play the trumpet for like 10 minutes, it starts to go. I was going to say, when when Mike said that, Julian, when was the last time you took a week or two off of the trumpet? So the only time that I have Uh taken (laughs) a a day off, in fact, was... um, when I had to have surgery a couple of years ago mm. and was out uh, from the orchestra from, from September to November. Um, before that, I took a single day off in like 2012 uh, <laughs> when I was also, I had like some kind of food poisoning or something and, and had to go to the hospital. And before that, I'm pretty sure I never took a day off. And you were probably dragging your horns all the way to the yeah, ER. Yeah, I can see you in the ICU, you know, plugged into some machines <laughs> no, and you're still there yeah. with the trumpet. <laughs> I am I'm not a day off kind of person. I, mm-hmm. I sort of wish that I could be. Um, it's just like the, I feel like I get out of shape really quickly. Yeah, if I let myself do that, um, the the rebuilding process is it takes up too much time. So it's not, mm-hmm. it's not worth it to me to have like the, the, t- the time off. And I mean, I, I also like really enjoy playing. <laughs> so yeah. it's, a good it's thing. also like hardly ever a chore to play. That is a good thing. I feel like, I feel like I'd be so much better at the flute. If I, if I had that <laughs> same, if I had that same level of commitment, I'm always, I'm always <laughs> amazed at people like you, uh, who, who do that. And it's, um, it's phenomenal and the results do show. So, uh, so no time off for you. Keep, keep practicing. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm just trying to keep up with you. So don't, don't practice any oh, more well. than you do now. <laughs> That'd be hard not to, but okay. <laughs> so Julian, speaking of dragging all your horns somewhere, you often have to bring multiple instruments to a rehearsal or a performance. And I think that's something unique about trumpet compared to all almost all other wind or brass instruments. I mean, you might see oboe players or English horn players switching out reeds, depending on what passage they're about to play. That'll help them play that passage better. But you actually bring several instruments many times to rehearsals and concerts. And for people in the audience, when they see you switch, I'm sure they're often wondering, why, what, are the, what is he doing and why is he switching horns? Can you talk just a little bit about 
um, the nature of the trumpet and why there are so many different keyed instruments, you know, a trumpet in D, or you use a, a C horn or an E flat horn or something like that. Talk a little bit about that process. Yeah. So I, I do get a lot of like Twitter and Facebook messages post concerts uh, about, you know, I saw you switching horns back and forth, you know, what do you, mm-hmm. so there's, um, there's a, there's a, our trumpets in, um, almost every key. So we've got a B flat trumpet, a C trumpet, a D trumpet, and an E flat trumpet. Some people have E trumpets. There's an F trumpet, a G trumpet, and a piccolo trumpet in A. So that almost covers <laughs> covers all the white keys uh, on the piano plus B flat and E flat. So all of our and then and then we have uh, I'm actually looking at looking at my horns over here. So we've got a flugelhorn, um, cornets in B flat and C and E flat, and then you've got um, you know kind of more uh, specialized instruments that you would use like uh, like a herald trumpet or something for Aida maybe. Um, which I, I don't I don't own one, but um, and then there are natural trumpets as well, which I which I also don't own. All the trumpets have a uh, different sound. We typically all start on either B flat cornet or B flat trumpet, but in the orchestra we play C trumpets, which are a little bit smaller and a little bit brighter. At least in in American orchestras, it's what we play, um, and it helps us um kind of be able to cut through as the as through through history as the orchestra string sections of orchestras got larger um and pieces were written for more musicians and percussion sections got larger um i think we needed you know a little bit of of help breaking through at times orchestras in the uk don't don't have that that problem but they they primarily play the big b flat trumpets Mm. And then we have um, like uh, pieces that were written um, like Bach um, that were that were written kind of before the the big valve trumpet um, was around. And now we get to use the piccolo trumpet, but those would have been played on a natural trumpet without without valve. So you might see a, like a Brandenburg II um, played on its nat- original instrument, which is a natural trumpet with with no valves. And uh, now we have the piccolo trumpet to cover that range. Um, would be really a nightmare to try to play that kind of stuff on the on the big B flat trumpet. <laughs> and um, and then there's all kinds of arguments about why pieces were written in the keys that they were written. For example, so I guess the audience may not also know, like we the trumpets um, in an or- um, in an orchestra hardly ever read music in the key that the that the trumpet is in. Mm-hmm. So we have a C trumpet, but the the piece of music might be for trumpet in D or trumpet in E flat. Um, sometimes we get one for trumpet in C, but it's it's uh, it's actually kind of rare. Um, so the C trumpet makes it also a little bit easier as far as transposition um, going from if you think about going from B flat to E, it's nasty, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but C to E is not so bad. Um, so going from C to anything else is is definitely much easier, and um, and then there's all kinds of argument as to why why composers wrote for the keys that they wrote. For example, Mahler um, writes a lot for trumpet and F, but a lot of people would say there was no small trumpet and F back then, and it was just the big like a it would be, would have been like a a trumpet larger than our B flat trumpet, but the range is way too high hmm. for that instrument. So. Um, you ask this guy, you ask that guy, everybody will give you a different answer. Hmm. And, um, you know, 
we can't we can't ask him. So um, <laughs> and there's and there are all kinds of um, examples like that. Like why would this be written? Um, you know, for for this in- instrument, primarily for us, it makes it just easier to read and easier to transpose, and the keys um, kind of stay more consistent. Um, so, like a, an opera, um, like Otello, um, I'm trying to think of like the ones that change keys the most and the mo- and the the most often. It actually never changes keys; it only changes transposition. So you don't have a bunch of key signatures um, to keep looking at. You just know, okay, now it's in trumpet in C, now it's in trumpet in A flat, now it's in trumpet in A, now it's in trumpet in F. Um, so it just makes it a little bit, I guess if you're used to transposition, it makes it easier um, for us to read. Um, and then and then the trumpet choice um, is just kind of whatever, whatever makes the right sound um, and whatever makes it makes it easier. So sometimes we'll choose um, like a D trumpet uh, because the fingerings are are easier or the, the sound is a little bit smaller or tighter. So it's just kind of more appropriate for like a light, um, you know, light classical piece or something like that. That's actually interesting. I, I'm curious. So when you say, you know, you make a choice based on, you know, what's makes the right sound or maybe what makes the most sense for the transposition, would there be a time where like, you might decide that you want to play a trumpet in D and Steven who sits next to you would play a different trumpet playing the same piece. Or do you guys in a section, keep that consistent? Typically we would keep it consistent. So that's a conversation that we have, you know, prior to um, rehearsals. Generally we try to keep it where I would play the smallest instrument. So I would play, you know, an E flat or a D trumpet and then Steven would play C trumpet. Or if I'm playing piccolo, Maybe he would play E flat. Um, you don't really want it to be the other way around, um, just for for sound reasons. You wouldn't want like a brighter second part or a smaller second part because um, it just makes the 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 first part feel a little odd and exposed. In really rare occasions, um, there were there are, there are a couple of pieces that the third trumpet player might choose to play E flat trumpet. Um, versus two C trumpets, um, but but typically we would we would work all that out um, and try to make it as uh, like a, a smooth transition down the down the section as we could. So I know we've talked about int- instruments a lot, but I I do have another question. I know Mike was he was excited when we started talking about instruments too, but maybe we had the same question. Mine is I'm curious to know how many trumpets you actually own. Um, let's see. Right now. <laughs> Um, let's He's see, got a count. one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Oh, he's moved to um, the other side of the room now. Yeah. Oh, 12. <laughs> so I think I have 12 now. Um, I know I've had probably, probably double that at times. I'm not like a, I'm not like a collector of instruments now. I, I used to, you know, kind of hoard instruments as, you know, if I could find them, I would buy them. Um, now I'm like, if they're not being played, uh, then, then I don't really need it. So I'm, I'm, I have 12, 12 trumpets and, uh, piano and one bass guitar. And a partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So you, you've basically got one trumpet for each note. <laughs> Almost. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, and I will say, I will say some of them are repeats. So I do have three, 
B flat cornets. And I have, oh, you know what? I have, I have 13. <laughs> um, just, yeah, I have just three found B, another. Yeah, I have three B flat cornets and then I have one cornet that plays in B flat and C. Well, so, well, this is, I'm glad you mentioned that because one of the things that, that I wanted to ask you before, um, just for anyone who isn't familiar, tell us, tell us briefly uh, what the differences are between trumpets, coronets, and flugelhorns. Yeah, mm-hmm. so um, the, the construction of them um, is the main difference. So um, the trumpet, the, the size of the tubing stays basically the same from the beginning until very late in the in the wrap. The coronet, although it looks shorter, it starts opening and getting larger much sooner. So it provides for a warmer, darker, bigger sound. And the flugelhorn starts uh, increasing in size almost immediately and has a very, very large bell. So it, it provides for like a super dark, um, kind of more covered sound. And we also have the rotary trumpet, which is like a trumpet that you hold sideways like a sandwich and has uh, valves like a French horn. And it also provides for like a, a smoother, uh, darker sound. And most of it has to do with uh, like history. The, the cornet was like super popular um, kind of before at least in like solo repertoire and things like that. And there's a probably easy to find on Google now, but there's a really funny um, letter that Clark wrote about how the trumpet would never be popular and was the devil's instrument. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And the cornet was king and, and it could only, you know, you could only play the cornet. Um, And, you know, now look at us like cornets, much, much more of a specialized instrument than, than the trumpet. So it all just has a kind of do with, with history and what, what the popular sound of the, of the times uh, were and things like that. You can't have coronations of Kings without cornets. That's for sure. That's right. Queens. Well, Julian, this has been really awesome talking with you about the trumpet and about your career and your practice regimes. I I think there's so many things that, that you just uncovered that will be really fascinating for people that love the trumpet and people that know nothing about the trumpet. I think we all learned a lot, including the three of us today. Um, But we can't let you go uh, before asking the most important question of the day, which we ask everyone here on Beethoven Walks Into a Bar. What is your favorite drink? And if you were to be sharing this favorite drink with Beethoven at a bar or cafe or somewhere else, what would you ask him? Um, Okay. I'm kind of a simpleton and and also not a big drinker. Um, so I would say that my favorite drink would be just a, a bourbon and Coke would, would, yep. would do it just fine for me. And I think, so, so does it matter if, uh, if Beethoven's alive today or if I go back in time to talk to Beethoven? Either, either way, way, either okay. way, you can ask him anything. Yeah. So I, I would rather Beethoven be alive today. And, uh, and I would like to ask him his opinion on, uh, on popular music today. Uh, and uh, yeah, and if and if he had has lived from his time until now, um, to ask him how he how he thinks that music went from from where it was to how it is now. 
Somebody just asked something similar, didn't they, on on one of our recent episodes? Am I remembering that right? Yeah, something something yeah. along those lines. I, I think I that's a great who. question. I love that yeah. question. I think it's great. I, <laughs> Producer Tim is like, I don't know. We've had a lot. <laughs> those are those, that would be a great question. I would also love to hear hear his answer to that. And I mean, I will say, I I think we all think that we know, or we would like to say that Beethoven would not be pleased. But I, but I wonder if we would be surprised. I think we, you I know, I think we would be. Yeah, I think he would. I think he would be really into some contemporary music, not not just for orchestras, obviously, but music on the radio, and want to incorporate perhaps electronic sounds in his music. Who knows? But also, you know, you said, what if he had lived this whole time since you know 1770 when he was born till, till now? Think of how different music would be, because think about how much he revolutionized it just in his 56, 57 short years. So. That would also be fascinating to see yeah. where music would be today if he were still alive. Yeah. All right, guys, we've had a lot of brass talk today, and um, I thought we would mix it up a little bit with bar talk this week. And instead of doing our typical format that I cannot seem to win, I can't even seem to get not third place. So um, <laughs> we're going to play a different game today. So I found a quiz for all of us, and it is a which brass instrument are you quiz. So there's a series of 10 questions that we're going to answer. And um, at the end of it, it will tell you what brass instrument you are, your personality is most akin to. All right. And I'm excited to see where, what Julian gets, because that would be pretty awesome if Julian ended up with something non-trumpet related or one of the, one of the fancy trumpets. So I've got questions and we'll just go around and, uh, and, and say our answers and then we'll get through. And then I, I'm excited to hear what brass instrument everybody gets. The first question is name one of, um, sorry, one of your worst flaws. One of your worst flaws is that you are restless, a doormat, antisocial, high maintenance, vague, or lazy. Mike? What's I, one of your worst flaws? I, you know, I, this has really come out in me uh, now, probably more than ever. I, I am kind of restless, actually. Mm. I don't like having nothing to do. It doesn't work out well for me. I wonder if that's a product of the times, too. This is interesting. Well, what I about usually, you? yeah. <laughs> what about you, Julian? Uh, I also chose restless. Nice, restless. You guys are all restless. Jason? Can I choose H, all of the above? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I think I'm a little bit of a doormat, unfortunately, because sometimes I'm too nice. I say yes way too often. So sometimes Ooh. I feel like I let people take advantage of me. Uh, my answer is that I'm antisocial, which has actually been a very um, awesome attribute during this quarantine time because it's been just fine for me. All right. The next question is, if you had to uh, pick a Game of Thrones character, Game of Thrones character, would you pick Jon Snow Tormund Giantsbane, Samwell Tarly, Daenerys Targaryen, Tyrion Lannister, or Cersei Lannister? Jason, what about you? I'm ashamed to admit that I haven't watched Game of Thrones, so this is a little tough for you me. You still but have to I pick do, one. But I really love the actor who plays Tyrion Lannister, so I'm going to yeah. go with that one. Okay, good. Julian? Um, I'm with you, Jason. I have never seen Game of Thrones. What? Um, so I chose based on the pictures... Uh, one of one of them had a dragon on her shoulder, so I'm gonna go with Daenerys. Yes, Daenerys. Because dragons dragons are pretty cool. Dragons are cool. <laughs> awesome. 
Mike, have you seen Game of Thrones? I have, as a matter of fact, thanks okay, to my wife. I didn't watch it, uh, you know, right when it came out, but but years later we went back together and watched the whole thing. So, so um, I have to go with Tyrion. Actually, look at you guys, awesome yeah, Tyrion. And I picked Jon Snow because that is the right answer. All right. Next question. You wake up and immediately you hit the shower, check your phone, prepare breakfast, get dressed, hit snooze again, or stretch and work out. Let's see. Mike. Yeah, I'm a little ashamed to admit this one, but it's pretty much like check the phone. For some reason, I'm like, oh, God, what if there's a message I didn't see or the world exploded overnight and no one told me? So, yeah, that's kind of where I go. Jason. I might eventually check my phone, but that's after about five snoozes. So definitely hit snooze again. <laughs> Julian? Uh, I chose check my phone, but yeah. if uh, if make espresso was an option, I would choose make espresso. Oh, nice. Nice. <laughs> Good answer. I also chose check my phone. So that's just, it's sad. I hate to admit that. All right. Um, what kind of music do you like to listen to? Deep and meaningful Anything and everything, jazz, melodic, all about that bass, loud and upbeat, or nice and mellow. Julian, let's start with you. I chose nice and mellow. In my car, it's always lo-fi beats. Ah, nice. Mike? Uh, I'm really kind of anything and everything. Just depends. This doesn't surprise me about you. That's, That's good. Jason? I'm I'm just surprised that jazz and melodic are two different options. That's kind of offensive to jazz, but uh, I also chose anything and everything because it just depends on my mood. Well, I don't know if this means that I don't like jazz. I don't think it does, but I chose melodic. So, mm. all right. Um, okay. Name one of your best qualities. Funny, outspoken, hardworking, easygoing, classy, unique, and or smart. Mike, uh, you know, uh, Gesundheit. Um, <laughs> I, I think I'm fairly easygoing, and of course, you know, probably as soon as we get off the Zoom meeting, the three people are being like, "Oh, Mike was such a needy pain in the butt." But so <laughs> I don't know. But I think I'm easygoing, and I don't care what anyone else thinks. <laughs> if I had to choose one for you, well, I, a lot of those would apply to you. But I think easygoing is for sure applicable. How about you, Julian? Um, I chose outspoken. I don't know if other people would think that that's a best quality, but I'm proud of my outspokenness. I think that's awesome. Jason? I went with hardworking. I think I'm a pretty hardworking person, so definitely went that route. I went with hardworking, too, as well. At least I feel like I'm hardworking. I don't know what other people think, but I feel like You are. You are very (laughs) hardworking. All right. Next question. What type of movies do you normally watch? Action documentary, drama, comedy, horror, or classics? Julian. Almost always documentaries. Oh. Hmm. Gosh, we are all so different. I love this. Mike? (laughs) Depends, but I like action movies. Yeah. Jason? Drama. I want to cry. You want to (laughs) cry. Sometimes That's my goal in every movie. (laughs) Um, I am also, I'm with Mike, Uh, action movies are usually where I, where we land in my home. All right. Which of these non-brass instruments appeal to you most? Drums, guitar, bass guitar, violin, banjo, and piano. Let's see, Jason. Well, clearly violin, because that's the one I picked to play. 
So oh. <laughs> that's an easy answer. Violin. Awesome. <laughs> Mike? I always wanted to be good at the violin. Hmm. Aww. That, that'd there's be still nice. time. There's still there's, time. There's not. It's over. <laughs> the time is over. <laughs> Julian? Um, I chose bass guitar because I, I play bass guitar as well. Oh my gosh, I was going to make a joke when we started that question and say, there's no way anyone will pick bass guitar. (laughs) (laughs) That's one of Julian's 14 instruments. Yeah, I have it hanging hanging right next to me. (laughs) There you go. Well, great. Okay, and I I chose the drums. I feel like I'm like the odd man out in this group we have here. Well, then you should have a different instrument than us at the end. This is, uh, well, we'll see how accurate this is. Because if we all end up with the same instrument. Yeah, what if we all have the same instrument? Then we know the quiz has got to be thrown out. (laughs) This is a very official um, online quiz with a whole lot of, uh, a long URL. So this is good. Okay. Your spirit animal is a dolphin, a beaver, a zebra, a swan, a deer, or a hippo. Mike. It's got to be dolphin. Dolphin. Oh, that's awesome. Julian. Dolphin. Dolphin. Jason? My last name is Zebra, so naturally Zebra. Oh. Zebra, Zebra, Zebra. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, that's the wrong similar, answer, because so. clearly dolphin is the correct answer. That's well, also I, what I'm I the chose. odd man out this time. <laughs> All right, two more questions. Stick with us. All right. At parties, you are usually standing around awkwardly, the life of the party, making sure everyone's comfortable, enjoying meeting new people, Late to arrive or the last one dancing, Mike. Uh, yeah, definitely uh, ma- making sure people are comfortable. Oh, you are a great host. You are. Thank you you are. You also, if if the answer was making sure everyone is fed, that would be you. That's part, <laughs> That's of, part being of being comfortable. comfortable. <laughs> yeah. yep. Julian, what about you? Um, I chose enjoying uh, enjoying meeting people. I'm typically quite reclusive, so I uh, I don't I decline a lot of invitations. But when I do go uh, places, I do and really enjoy meeting people and learning what they're about. Awesome, Jason. I also enjoy meeting new people at parties. It's always fun to catch up with your friends, but it's always cool to meet new people as well. See, Julian, I I also am, have a tendency to be pretty reclusive. You know, we we have a busy home here. I'm you know I'm at home a lot, except. When I go to a party, uh, because of that, I usually just stand around awkward. So <laughs> that's, that's me. <laughs> All right. The last question is, when you are not huffing and puffing, you are at the library, out and about, at the gym, binging Netflix, chilling with friends, or playing video games. We'll start with Jason. Uh, probably binging Netflix. Usually yeah. my wife and I have at least one or two series that we're watching and we alternate back and forth between them. So yeah, that's the way I unwind. Mike? Yeah, burning through that Netflix. <laughs> uh, Julian? Uh, mine's definitely playing video games. Oh, nice. What do you yeah. play? Uh, I play Apex Legends and I play Overwatch. All right. <laughs> uh, mine, is also, mine is also Netflix. Yes. All right, guys. The moment of truth. Everybody got your answers plugged in. I aptly got the French horn. I'm married to a horn player. And it says that I am a French horn because I'm methodical and quite the perfectionist in my musical expression. But I tend to be quieter than I should be. Who thinks Ooh. I'm quiet? <laughs> I've heard some pretty loud French horns, so I don't know about that last part. <laughs> I don't know but. what this means. Huh. Um, yeah, so I'm the French horn. Let's see, Jason. 
What'd I am the tenor horn, which uh, they said that that is that harmony is key. That I believe in harmony. Uh, the oh. tenor horn is usually playing nice harmony parts uh, if it's being used in Bruckner or Wagner or whoever. Um, right at home in the middle of things, easygoing, and love social events. And all those things are pretty true. So I'm the tenor horn. All right, Mike. Uh, interestingly, I am also the tenor horn. Yeah. <laughs> For all the same reasons. You guys have a lot reasons. of similar answers. <laughs> now, now uh, Julian, correct me if I'm wrong. The tenor horn is uh, the same instrument as the Wagner horn, which we sometimes talk about as well, or different. Yeah. Yeah. And some, sometimes people would refer to it like um, like a smaller euphonium. Mm. Right. Well Either done. We used it in Mahler 7, know. for instance. Yeah. Yeah. Well it's done. Pretty. All right. Julian, the moment of truth. The moment of truth, guys. I got the trumpet. <laughs> ah, <laughs> no, good. did you really? And th- for the following reasons. Um, it's loud and bright. <laughs> it's associated with royalty. Ah. Oh. It expresses ambition and outspokenness mm. and confidence and strong personality. But cool. I will say there were some... Um, Backdoor insults in that description that I I chose to leave out, but oh, these no. are all these are all positives. Okay, these are all nice. positives. Confidence and strong personality, outspokenness, those are positives. <laughs> awesome. I love it. Well, love we will it. put a link to this quiz in our show notes for anybody else who would like to take it. And then if you end up getting the trumpet, you can see the negatives that go in with, the, <laughs> with that description as well. Thanks for thanks for humoring me, guys. That was that was uh, fun and insightful. Well done. I'm glad I didn't take that test back when I was like in the sixth grade and end up see a career as a Wagner horn player. Horn? <laughs> All right. Well, this has been really fun, and perhaps I will consider a second career, not as a violinist, but as a Wagner horn player. We'll just see how that goes. <laughs> but uh, either way, I want to thank Julian, who has uh, found harmony in his life, both uh, in the test and in real life, playing the trumpet. And um, as I think we're going to call you the winner of our test today because you actually play the instrument that the test says you ought to play or uh, (laughs) the one that is uh, most fitting for you. And your prize, because we always have a prize when we play Bartok, uh, is if you so choose, you get to recommend some listening for everyone today. Perhaps another uh, of your favorite Wynton Marcellus albums or something else entirely. Hmm. You know, I think I'm going to recommend Prokofiev 5. Ooh. Do you have a favorite recording? Um, did we record it? <laughs> <laughs> Not that I'm aware of. That's a good question. We probably have no, an you know full recording of it. I'm, yeah, I'm so in love with the piece. Uh, no, I can't say that I have a favorite. Right. Um, I know Philadelphia has like a really super one. Um, so I guess if I had to choose a favorite, it would be, it would be that, but, um, yeah, I'm going to go with Prokofiev five. Awesome. Well, we will put that in our, um, our playlist for the week. We'll also throw in there, um, classic Winton for all of the listeners to use as their, their nighttime <laughs> go to bed yeah, please do. <laughs> routine. And I think just for good measure, we will also throw in a little, my heart will go on because why not? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy <laughs> well Julian thank you so much again for joining us it's been great talking with you today 
Thank you so much. I sure appreciate you guys. In order to be highly successful, a professional symphony orchestra needs excellent leadership in many areas, artistically and administratively. One of those key leadership positions you might not have thought about is the head of the musicians committee, or as we refer to it in the orchestra world, the MC. Join us next week as we sit down with the current head of the MC of the Kansas City Symphony, our acting associate principal second violin, Christy Velliser. Christy's going to tell us all about this vital committee and what happens behind the scenes to ensure that our musicians are put in the best possible circumstances for great performances. Next week on Beethoven Walks Into a Bar. <laughs>